Five scores! Rick Bud. We decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Bud. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Welcome, everyone, to the Squid and Ultimate Leaf Fan Show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs fan. Joining me, as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibe. Squid, how are we keeping? Uh, we're doing pretty good, Mike. Uh, still getting out golfing every day and uh, enjoying it. And uh, the weather's been spectacular here uh, for the last few days, so it's been great. Fantastic. Well, I'll tell you, we got a beauty today. Our guest has a resume that could take up the whole show, so here we go. Drafted exactly. in the sixth round by Philadelphia in 1983, never played a game in the minors, developed in the template of the power forward, captain of the Flyers, played 1,144 games over 18 seasons, scored 440 goals, 512 assists, 952 points, along with just close to 3,000 minutes in penalties. The all-time leader of the Gordie Howe hat trick with 18, Howe, by the way, had only two, won a cup with Pittsburgh as a player in 92. Two as an assistant with Pittsburgh back-to-back in 16 and 17. That's 2000. And instrumental in the famous Team Canada comeback against Russia in 1987. Head, co- head coaching gigs in Tampa and in recently in Arizona. If we pump his tires anymore, he's going to be circling over it with Jeff Bezos. So please welcome to the Scrid and Ultimate Leaf Band show, Ricky Talk. Talk, how are we doing? Well, so you got my check, right? Thanks. Thanks for the intro. <laughs> You're kind. Thank you. Hey, so how are you keeping uh, busy these days since the season ended? Yeah, um, well, for about a month there, I was interviewing for jobs, so uh, uh, that did go to actually. Well, actually, the process actually, guys, it went really well. Uh, uh, you know, it was Seattle and um, Rangers and uh, Columbus and Buffalo. Uh, I, I love the process. Really good. Like I thought, the GMs were great. The round table was fun doing. Um, so I, I did that for about a month. Um, now we've got a couple options, weighing a few options right now, seeing uh, what's going on, and uh, we'll go from here. Fantastic. Um, I want to say we want to we, we have so much to talk about with you, and you know I want to start going back to the beginning in Scarborough, Ontario, kind of a hockey hotbed of players, as we know from our era growing up in that period. Uh, just speak to the early years leading up to playing in the Sioux for Terry Crisp. Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, you know, uh, listen, I loved my parents uh, who moved from Italy. Um, and you know them really well. You know, they, they they drove me everywhere, every hockey rink, you know, George Bell and Com- uh, Commander Park, all these different rinks, and I just fell in love with hockey. Obviously, watching Squid and uh, the Leafs um, every Saturday night was something, uh, you know, there's not – I remember 8, 8 o'clock sitting on the couch with my mom, watching these guys play was like a highlight of the week. Um, and then obviously just, you know, going through the minors, the hockey system in Toronto, you know, uh, uh, had some great coaches, uh, some great players that I play with fun, you know, it was a lot of tournaments. Um, that was probably my childhood, obviously going to school, but that was a big part of my childhood. And then, and then getting drafted by the Sioux and going up to the Sioux with Terry Crisp. But it was, uh, you know, you guys know it's a hockey hotbed. It's, there's no better place to, to grow up, uh, being a hockey player than Toronto. Well, as an inside kind of story here, for those from Scarborough that are listening to this, the way it goes is Rick is the youngest of three brothers. And, you know, his late father, God rest his soul, he, he, he had sports on his mind. But I think when Andy was the oldest, Andy got an accordion. The second youngest brother, Danny, got a set of running shoes and became athlete of the year at Wexford Collegiate. And Ricky got the skates. So you can figure it out from there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listen, you know my brother Andy, man, we always hear about it. He got the accordion, the poor guy, you know. He did get the accordion. <laughs> Squid. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, well, so you go from the city, you get drafted by Philadelphia. Yeah. You go to your, you know, your first season. Like, you know, we always – what was your biggest adjustment? Like, I mean, we've talked to some guys. It's a lot of them. Are, it's a little bit different, and and the game obviously has changed quite a bit since then. Like, it was it speed or was it you know what was the biggest challenge for you uh, going into into the pros? Well, I mean, you know, going these guys are men, right? Um, you know, they're in junior. 
you know, you always get some, you know, you know, you play, you get some mismatches out there. Uh, when you're a 19 year old playing against 16 or 17 year old, you get some, and the NHL, there's not many mismatches. Uh, um, and when I, when I got the NHL, like, and I, I always tell, you know, I tell players nowadays, like, if you're, like, and I was, you know, my, my third year, I was a scorer and, and junior, but I knew going to the NHL my first year as, listen, I'm not going to be scoring at that pace or maybe not even all. Um, so I had to have another tool in my bag. So I remember Mike Keenan said, hey, listen, you better be able to check uh, Mark Howe and Brad McCrimmon, um, who were instrumental in, in, you know, just leadership for me. I remember they told me, make sure you're good in our own end, make sure in, in the neutral zone. And back then you could be able to get in front of people and, you know, maybe you could water ski a guy. So, you know, they said, make sure, you know, when some, when you guys are forechecking, make sure you get on top of you guys and, and, and give me some time to get the puck. And, and I took a lot of pride in that. And, um, and Brian McCurr and Mark Howell told me, and I remember going to every game, I said, hey, nobody's going to get by me in the neutral zone. It was just – so I, I guess what I'm saying to these guys, you got to bring something else to the table. If, if you're not scoring goals, and I think that was something that I learned that early on, make sure that you play the game the right way if you're not getting those goals. You know, it was like, you know, I wasn't scoring right off the bat, right? Uh, you had to develop that game. So that was one thing I learned. Uh, try to play good defense and play aggressive. I mean, we had an aggressive team. And uh, and be a role, be that role player, that uh, or that puzzle guy that every team needs. Well, I was going to say to you now, the fighting side of your game. How did that come to be? I mean, you really weren't wired that way growing up playing, unless you're fighting with your brothers. But you know, your, what's your thought process going into junior as a? I'm going back to junior now when you played for Chris. Yeah. Playing as junior, your ice time is going to be limited, obviously, as a new player in the league. Yeah, and maybe yeah. only getting a few shifts a game. Is this just one of these things you want to leave a memory when you're on the ice? Yeah, I mean, I've always was a guy like trying to help your teammates out in the scrum if somebody's getting picked on or whatever. I, I was always that type of guy to help my teammates out. But I got to tell you, I was really lucky. I mean, I know I feel sorry for some guys. Like I, I went to Sault Ste. Marie. We had a tough team. We had like one of the toughest yeah. teams. Late. Then I go to Philadelphia, and we probably had the, the toughest team. Our, our, our minor <laughs> league team was probably tougher than half the NHL team. So I was lucky. We had six or seven deep. You know, some guys, I know some of my buddies, you know, there's only one or two guys. And, uh, but we were lucky to have a lot of guys. And, you know, the, the Tim Kerrs and the Brian Props of the world, they, they could just play the game. So I kind of learned to protect your teammates and, you know, the team toughness. And, um, but I, like I said, guys, I was lucky to, you know, to go to the Sioux in Philly where we had a very deep team and, and toughness. And that, that could play too. It wasn't just fighting. There was guys that. No question. No, and I was going to yeah. say because like junior. I mean, the one way to be noticed is when you're on the ice, let them know you're there. And I'm going to say, especially for you going to your first camp in Philly and starting to play, let's face it, six-round draft picks aren't supposed to get a sniff, never mind make the team. Yeah, I mean, you have to develop your own game. I mean, you look at Ricky. I mean, you know, Ricky had that slap shot uh, uh, going down the wing. And then, you know, the goalies would come out, then you'd fake and go around. I remember all those tricks, right? So um, <laughs> those are the things that – no, but those are the things you try to develop, but – a lot of my goals, I mean, I, I try to establish in front of the net. I mean, that was mm -hmm. a lot of my goals. And yeah. you, and you, and you got to look for that room. You know, you're, you're banging in front with some of the, you know, the Danicos and the Scott Stevens of the world, and you're looking for your space. So the odd time you'd have to drop the gloves because you're telling these guys, hey, I'm not moving. I'm the, you know, and, 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 and one thing I hope that the NHL, not to, to, to get off topic, is the cross-checks. That was when I usually had most of my fights is when I got cross-checked yeah. from a defenseman. Back then – you can ask Ricky. It was you know it was a, it was freebies. You know uh, the sh the defenseman's mm -hmm. going to shoot the puck. You're going to deflect it, and the guy would just cross check it from behind, no penalty. And I, I think it's coming back a little bit there in the playoffs. I thought I saw a lot of cross checks they let go. So that's one yeah. that's one thing I'd like to see them eliminate. I I love mm -hmm. the top hockey, but that cross check to me in front is a dangerous play. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more on that because I mean I went through that as well. I mean, when they eliminated my ability to come down the wing and, and score, well, you had to find another way to do it, and that was go sure. to the front of the net. And you take an awful lot of abuse and, you know, fighting. I mean, I did it early in my career, and the reason I did it was basically, you know what, I'm not going anywhere, guys. You can, you can do yeah. whatever you want to me. You can try and intimidate me, but I'm not going anywhere. So get used to it, you know. And, and that was kind of my mindset. And then when Mike Nicola came in, and he said to me, Rick, we need you on the ice. We don't, we can't afford to have you in the box. I was like, okay, thank you very much, Mike, because I'm getting the shit kicked out of me most nights. And, and I'm not really liking it. So, 
Well, you don't want you don't want. We, we, we were fortunate enough, Rick, to have. Yeah, yeah we, we were fortunate to enough to have a lot of tough guys on our team. So there was really nobody to stick up for us, and you know, and take care of us, and until Wendell came along. But then, you know, we needed Wendell on the ice too. So uh, that was the difference between our team and Philly, and and a lot of other teams in the NHL back then was they had four or five guys yeah. that looked after everybody. We didn't have that. Yeah, and plus, listen, uh, Ricky, you, you don't want your 30, 40, 50 goal scorers like yourself, you know, in the box all night. I mean, it's, and that's what the other team's trying to do, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a mix. It's a balance. It's, um, you know, when you have a bunch of guys that never takes their share, it's not a lot easier. So, yeah, yeah I mean, you guys didn't have yeah. a lot of, you know, until Wendell got there. But you didn't, you know, Tiger was there. Uh, he was tough. But, you, you know, you guys – didn't have a, a lot of team toughness, but you had some good players there, and you want you guys on the ice. So I agree 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say uh, now, let's go to Philly. Yeah. What did you know about Mike Keenan as a coach before arriving? You know, I didn't know a lot about him, uh, Mike. I, he was, um, you know, until we met him. But, you know, we heard he was tough. Um, yeah. We didn't know he was that tough. Like, he, you know, when he first came in, he, you know, he sent a message. It's going to be tough. He wanted us to be the best-shaped team in the league. And, I mean, he was ahead of his time. I got to admit, like, you know, he, you know, I, I, I didn't, I'm not to speak for Rick, but I know there were other coaches back in the old days. They'd have hour and hour, hour, hour and a half practices. Mike was a 45 minute high tempo. Um, mm-hmm. So he was ahead of his time. Uh, training camps, he kicked the mm-hmm. hell out of us. He, they were tough training camps. Um, you know, weight, weight belts. Uh, he was, a, he was tough, but, um, but he was ahead of his time. You know, everybody had their own water bottle and like, yeah, a lot of team dinners. Uh, I don't know. If, a lot of teams didn't do that. We had a team meals, um, so I think he was a he was ahead of his time when it came to that stuff. But you know, like I said, he was tough. Um, probably couldn't do the stuff nowadays and get away with it. Um, but you know, he made me a better hockey player for sure. Well, I was going to say his yeah. name comes up a lot on the show, and not always in favorable settings. Uh, you know, Jeremy Ronick, a lot of guys we've had on talk a lot about him, but they have respect for him in a way. Yeah. You had your issues with him, but would you be fair to say that he pushed the right buttons on you to elevate your game? Yeah, for sure. Mike, uh, I, I owe a lot for Mike what he's done. Uh, he's, he was great for me. Um, you know, I, and I talked to Mike, you know, I haven't talked to him in a long time, but we've talked. It's, uh, I was at Wayne Gretzky's fantasy camp and he was there and we had spent a lot of time there talking. I had a few drinks and I remember the only thing that really bothered me, Mike, I told him this and he admitted it. We, we won like 16 straight in Philly one year and we went into Chicago and we lost three. It was a hell of a game. A uh, couple of fights, but it was a great hockey, and we lost. And I remember Mike was ripping us after the game, and I remember I told Mike, I think you lost the team there. I, and we won 16 straight. You know, we have guys in the corner that are bleeding. and I, But he wanted us to win so bad that he just, you know, sometimes you, you lose the big picture, right? Yeah. Uh, but we, we talked about that stuff, and, um, you know, those are the things. But, you know, there's other times where Mike, you know, he'd, he'd have team parties for us, or he'd, you know, he'd pick up a tab at a bar at a restaurant. Like, he did a lot of great things for us, but – there's some stuff that he wishes he, you know, I, I, I don't know if he regrets it. I mean, he would have done different. Um, but like I said, he really helped me through my career for sure. Squid. Now, Rick, did he, like, I know when I went to Chicago and then they got rid of uh, Bob Murdoch and then they yeah. brought Mike in. And, you know, the first thing he did was he basically went after all the top players and, I think, and, and I'm assuming that it was be, because he, he wanted everybody to, to know that he's the boss. Don't listen to anybody else but me. I got to agree with you. He was way ahead of his time. He was unbelievable on the bench. He, he did a great job on the bench. He, he read the bench really well, made good changes. But sometimes he could be such a dick. I mean, <laughs> it was like, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and like I said, he went after the best players and said, Basically, I'm the boss. I don't give a shit who you are. You're going to do it my way, and that's all there is to it. You're right. Uh, that was his method. This was madness. And I, I and I think it worked in Philly. We were young guys. So, um, you know, the Timmy Kerrs, Brian Prop, Dave Poole, and those guys, you know, Mark Howell, he went after those guys quite a bit. Uh, but we were all young, and we just kind of did our thing. But I think once we started maturing – and we're like, hey, man, this, you know, you got to settle down here. We, I mean, we, we had great leaders in that room. And I think, you know, Mike could have probably backed off a little bit and let the young, uh, let the, not the young guys, but the, the leadership group take over. I, I'm a firm believer today as a coach, you got to let that leadership group be a part of uh, your, you know, like a partnership with the coach. You can't, 
you know, you can't alienate yourself with a leadership group. You got to make, let these guys make decisions. They're grown men and it's a partnership. And I think that's important. And you ask any good coach, uh, if they don't have the, if you don't have leadership, it's tough to coach in the league nowadays, even back then. So the leaders can really help. Um, and I think you have to let your leadership, you know, have the wings and grow and, and run that room sometimes. And I think sometimes Mike wanted to control everything. And, um, but I think there was a method to his madness, you know, when he did that. Now, talk. I want to go back to your your game. Your second year at the Flyers, you racked up close to 300 penalty minutes. Obviously, your reputation was going around the league. The Flyers had a very tough team, as we've already established. Yeah. Were you finding guys were more willing to challenge you as the season progressed or less? And did you sense the ice was opening up a little bit more for you? Yeah, the ice was definitely opening up. Um, and like I said, like like I, I'll be you know straight up. I mean, we had a tough team, so <laughs> yes, yeah, you did. They, they do. You know, they knew I wasn't going to back down. Like like Rick said, hey, I'm not going anywhere. I agree. But I also, like, you know, they're looking on the bench going, you know, I got I to gotta fight Ty. I got to fight Baruby. Now I got to fight Dave Brown, Daryl Stanley, Glenn Cochran. I mean, these guys are, I mean, I mean, these guys are scary tough. So, I mean, I was lucky to have that backup. But, yeah, going into Washington, the Rangers, uh, you know, the Jersey Devils, like the real rivals. Um, you know, I remember the first, I remember early in my career, and those guys told me the first period – Make sure your presence, like right off the bat, get on that forecheck, hit a guy, go in front of the net, cross check, like get in front of the net, show them that, you know, hey, it's going to be a tough night. And then, you know, a couple of years later, you're going there, hey, guys, not, hey, I'm not getting cross checked as much. Uh, <laughs> hey, man, I, I got a deflection where the guy never boxed me out, right? You're getting those kind of those, you know, all of a sudden you're getting, instead of 14 goals, you're getting like 21 goals. You're getting those extra six goals a year that are kind of freebies, right? So, um, yeah, that's just from like, you know, trying to, not play the role, but you're, you're, you're trying to just be a more aggressive and try to get that room. Yeah. It's, uh, it's kind of a, a good situation to be in. And like I said, it was, uh, I mean, it was tough. It was, uh, one of those things that you go through that try and establish yourself in the league. And, you know, like I said, let people know that, you know, I'm here, I'm not going anywhere. Uh, but you know, you, you, uh, went through, uh, you're in your first year, you get or almost 500 penalty minutes at one point. And like, did you say to yourself, like, I got, like, do I have to fight anymore or should I start working on my game? Because obviously you can put up offensive numbers too. So yeah, was there I, a yeah. concerted effort? Yeah, I worked on my game, like after practice and stuff like that. I knew the first couple of years, like I had to play this way if I was going to get ice time. Um, I always tell the story. Um, Mike Keenan calls me in his office. We we're playing the uh, Calgary Flames at home, and he goes, "Hey, there's a there's a Rick Taki jersey in Hershey right now. It's number 22. It's in their locker room. I better see a game tonight from you, right?" So obviously, what does that mean? So I remember I go fight uh, Poplinski, Hunter. I think I fought three uh, Neil Shee, three fights. And after the game, he goes, "That's more like it." Now I'm, I'm not. It wasn't like he was promoting fighting. Yeah, he yeah. Just wanted, he just wanted to make sure I knew my role in the sense that I got to stay aggressive. I the games before I was probably trying to toe drag at the blue line, you know, trying <laughs> try to do the trying to do the Gretzky pull up after you know after, and it's like no way. So he kind of it was a warning, right? Um, so lucky enough, I didn't have to go to the minors. But yeah, those were the tactics that, you know he would do once in a while, and I got the message loud and clear. Well, talk about <laughs> talk about those teams. Those are pretty good hockey teams where people aren't following that era. And losing in the finals to Edmonton twice in three years, not only are you guys tough, led by guys like yourself and Brown and the other guys you've mentioned, but very highly skilled as you've also mentioned with Mark Howe, Tim Kurt, Brian Propp. Give the listeners an idea how good those Gretzky-led teams were really. Well, listen, listen, especially our first, we lost in five. We had no business – you know, uh, you know, they, they beat us in five. We really weren't in it. You know, I mean, we gave, uh, you know, gave them some games, but you know, they, 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 you know, they deserved the game. But we took them seven. We scared them. I mean, uh, Wayne's yeah. game today, and you know, it was a two. It was actually a two-one-one game late in the third, and uh, when uh, uh, Anderson scored a goal. But I remember Murray. It was one-one. It was one nothing for us. And Murray Craig, we had a five-on-three. And Rick, you'll know when you're in front of the net. There's a shot. And it went behind Fuhrer, and you either got to go right or left of the goalie, right? He went left, and the puck scored it right. If he goes right, he puts the tap, and it's 2 nothing late in the second. Who knows? Hexy was playing, you know, Hexy won the con Smythe that year. We could have locked it down. So yeah. um, we, 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 had, we gave him some fits. But I'll tell you, and we didn't have uh, Brad, uh, Brad McCrimmon. He was hurt, and, uh, yeah. and, and Tim Kerr. So, 
Uh, you never know. Uh, but they were, they were, they, listen, you played against them. They're a great hockey team. They were phenomenal. They, they were ahead of their time too. You never wanted to get a, I think they did that four on four rule because yeah. of those guys, <laughs> That's uh, right. you know, they get open ice, they get a power play. It was deadly. Right. So, um, but it was a lot, it was a great, listen, accelerated my development, it accelerated the, the late, great Peter Zezel, you know, Pelly Eklund, Murray Craven, those guys to, to be in a first or second, third year in the league and, and get to that, to get to play that many games in the playoffs and gets that team, it, it accelerates your, your development. Um, that's really, that's a really key for, especially young guys, you know, like Montreal this year, they go to the finals, you know, the Caulfields, the Suzuki's, these guys, this, the, the, them going to the finals is going to. Their, their development's going to really fast track, and I think that helped us and the Flyers being able involved in those big pressure games in my first three, four years in the league. It's great. Can you add in yeah. that? Well, I, can't, I, can't, I can't say I've ever been there, but <laughs> 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 unfortunately, I, <laughs> I think the second round was a, was the furthest I ever got. Even though there was a couple of times in Buffalo we had a real good team, I think we finished second overall, I think, in the regular season, and we lost, but we – you know, we had to play Boston and Montreal yeah. in, in the playoffs. And, you know, we beat Boston. We lost to Montreal in six, even though we had a great team. But uh, it was unfortunate because, you know, we never got that opportunity. But, you know, what? That, that's the way it goes. I mean, when you think about it, what is there, 700 players roughly in the National Hockey League? And how many have played over the years? About 7,000. And how many of you even had a chance to get to the Stanley Cup Finals? I mean, one parade, in the year. one parade. Yeah, absolutely. So, so talk. Um, hey, hey, so talk. Let's go. Um, let's take it one step further. After that, 1987 Canada Cup tryout for the Canadian team. No cell phones in those days. How did that whole day unfold with the call coming to the house? Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, Keenan brought up five of us. You know, listen, if, if Mike Keenan, like, listen, Eiserman and a bunch of the, like, bunch of guys got cut, right? Mike Keenan's my coach. He's, I mean, he's coaching the team Canada. So uh, he brought five of us. So, um, listen, I, I was lucky enough to Mike to, to invite me to the camp um, because I, I, I played for him. And I think Mike at that time, he had the Gretzky's, he had the Messier's, the Coffees, and Borks and those guys. And I think he was looking for guys that could fill a fourth line role or third line. Like if you look like Dougie Gilmore, who was a star player, um, and Brent Sutter, uh, those guys filled a fourth line role. So I think he was looking for that. Um, and I knew going in, I the one thing I did go in, I was in shape. I was the, they, they did a testing. I was the best shape guy. I knew the only chance I would make it, I'd have to make an impression there. And I had a really good camp. Like, you know, you have those interstroid games. And maybe some guys, you know, they, you know, they don't take it serious. I took it serious. I was scoring. I was hitting guys. Um, and I knew that was my only way to, to be noticed. And uh, and when, he, you know, when Mike's, you know, when I made the team, I knew my role. I was like, you know, that 13th, 12th forward. Um, and that was the only way I was going to make that team. Um, but what a, what a great bunch of guys. What a great, like, it was unbelievable um, to be part of that with those guys. Uh, and, you know, against the Russians, I mean, the bid bad Russians, you know, you know, Canada hated, we all hated Russia, right? The U S hated them. And, um, it was just amazing. Uh, like I watched it, uh, it was on, I think a year ago, the end yeah. I, and I watched it and I'm like, there, there's a penalty every shift. Like there was a penalty every shift. I couldn't play nowadays the way I played. <laughs> I either got a hook in a cross check in a roughing penalty. Um, it was vicious out there, and um, you know, I I, I kind of laugh at it, but laugh at it, but I'm going, oh my god, I, there was how many times do you just hook a guy and or you punch a guy in the head? It was crazy. Uh, well, I remember that summer talk. You were training like a madman, yeah. and you actually, I I we we were running a hockey school together, and I ran into you one day, and you had a brush cut. And I yes. said, what happened to the the hair? And he said, I want to look serious going to camp, and he had what? that military haircut going in for Keenan. But also your first day at camp, you got a surprise with your roommate. Share the listeners with that little story. Yeah, that's like I said, that's Mike, Mike Keenan. He, uh, he roomed with Wayne Gretzky. So, um, you know, you go in there, you get your, you know, and Rick will tell you, you get your, your little card key and um, and it says Gretzky talk it, right? And I'm like, actually, I'm sorry. It said uh, Wayne. Actually, I shouldn't even say it doesn't even matter. Wayne Douglas, he went with an alias, right? So he never yeah. went with Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> so I, I go up there and it's like, you know, he's not there yet. I'm nervous, you know, Wayne Gretzky. And he comes in and he was awesome. Hey, let's go for lunch. And then 
he started to actually he was dating uh, Janet uh, Jones at the time, Janet Gretzky. And it was under the radar for about a week. And I remember he said, hey, just don't tell anybody. And I remember she actually was in her room a lot and she come in. I'm like, man, she's dating jo Janet Jones. And it's, you know, no, nobody knew about it. Right. So uh, that was pretty cool. So I roomed with him for about two, three weeks. It was awesome. You know, and, and uh, you know, our friendships kind of started there. Well, I was going to say, though, that's Keenan. And, and we always hear negatives about him. I, mean, I want to make a positive spin on this because. He gave you that feel to be around winners because they just beat yeah. you guys. They beat you two out of three years. Listen, winners, you both, you guys can attest to this. They speak differently. They act differently. They carry themselves differently. And I'd suggest this is one of those moments. Some of the excellence Keenan possessed as a coach were exhibited. Would you agree? Incredible. Um, I, I own. That's why I can, I, you know, like as much as I say the stories, the negative, the negativity, there's, but, you know, we all have negative stuff in our, in our career, but. He was uh, he was a big part of my career, um, and you know the way, thing, the way Mike and we used to practice hard. But I remember when Wayne Gretzky and Messi and those guys went on the ice. Anderson, like man, they pra I, I didn't know they practiced that hard. I, and we were taught to practice hard, but man, they practice hard. I mean, they got up and up the ice, down the ice, and a lot of flow drills and a lot of you know like ahead of like the drills that they were doing is like stuff that they're doing now, right? Uh, you know, coffee joining the rush, the fourth defenseman. Um, you know, that they, they did that in practice and right off, I learned that like right away, holy geez, man, you know, you got to make a play in practice. You know, they, you know, they don't just dump the pucks in and stuff. You know, they want you to make a skilled play. So I learned that, especially that month there and being a muncher on that training camp. And I actually played with Wayne, it was Wayne, myself and Brian prop on a, on a line for about three weeks, two weeks. And I remember him like, I mean, I'm dumping the puck in all the time going to chase. And he said, Hey, hold on to it, wait for me or look for cough coming in late. So I started to learn the game a little bit from those guys. I mean, that's, that, that's yeah, the Mike, part of it. Well, yeah, and Mike, you know what, Mike was unbelievable with his practices. I mean, like you yeah. said, I, I know you mentioned earlier, but it was 45 minutes, high tempo. Uh, you didn't, you, you only had a, a probably 15 seconds to get grab a drink of water and then on to the next drill. And one of the things I noticed about Mike, too, later on when he went to the Rangers and won a Stanley Cup, is he brought in a lot of guys that, he really liked on other teams. Like I know in Chicago, he brought Larmer in. Yes. He brought in uh, Hudson, I think, and yes. and somebody else that you know. And those are guys that he played a lot and and loved. Yeah, and and he, he because you know what he establishes, uh, he wants his guys to come in that know him and how to establish a, an identity, and that's what he did. Yeah, you're right. Noonan went in there and. Uh, I think he uh, um, it was the Matogo in there, and he brought Glenn Anderson, McTavish, those guys in there, mm -hmm. and those guys were kind of the missing glue guys. I mean, they had the Kovalevs and obviously Messiers, but those guys were the glue guys that uh, Kevin Lowe went there. That when Mike went crazy, those type of guys would keep the room calm. You know, when you don't have mm -hmm. those guys, um, you know, I, I listen. I was at Canada Cup. I remember a couple of times like Gretzky and Messi would look at me, and go, "Are you guys serious?" They'd look at me like, "Oh yeah," and um, you know. One of my favorite stories, not to backtrack, because I know you guys like this shit, uh, this stuff is, uh, we, we had a team meal, right? So back then, Mike was like no ice cream. Um, he wasn't big into steaks. Um, you know, he wanted, you know, chicken. Uh, I think the, um, you know, yams instead of some of the white pasta. You know, the stuff that nobody even heard of, right? And I remember Messi and Gretzky going, they go, where's the steak? And the girl goes, well, it's not on the order. Mike Keenan didn't want it. So I, this is when I remember they, when they flexed their muscles, they went, I remember Messi goes, really? I'm, I'm taking my whole summer off to do this. I want a freaking steak. He went into Mike's um, hotel room with Gretzky. The next thing, the next half an hour, they had big T-bone steaks right on that dish. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> that was something that ate and ice cream, ice cream and, they, and they served ice cream. So that Mike didn't win that battle when those boys went in there and said, Hey, we're giving our summer up. I want ice cream and I want my steak. So that was pretty funny. Well, didn't Messi also yeah. you guys beat uh, after an exhibition games order the whole team white Russians just as a sort of prelude to playing against the Russians? Oh yeah. Yeah. We all did a shot at uh, the old white Russian. Yeah. We had a good, we had a couple of teams get togethers there. Uh, Mess would, would start and, uh, just bonding stuff that they did a lot of. Well, what I want to talk talk I want to talk about the final game. Anybody who hasn't watched this series, it's one of the greatest series of all time in hockey. They say that '87 final; those three games were unbelievable. The deciding game, Candace down by three nothing. You cut the lead to one to two. You had a goal and assist. It was four two ending to the first period. Uh, to see, but the Soviets seemed to have an answer for any threat that 
or to the chagrin of all the Canadian players and, of course, a very nervous nation across Canada watching. Is it true between periods that Grant Fear stood up and said, get us back in it, boys, I'll hold them off. And you sat there and you thought, yeah, 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 I've heard this nonsense since I've been in house league. Guys always stand up and yell and chirp. And then all of a sudden you lift your data, looked around, and then there's Gretzky, there's Lemieux, there's Bork, there's Messier. Holy shit, we can do this. Yeah, uh, Grant Fuhr was uh, he's probably the best goalie uh, it, ever to play where he's down he's down 3 nothing. He'll he, you're not going to score the fourth goal. I mean, if you ask the Edmonton guys how many times they'd lead, you know, they'd let up them those guys want to play offense. So the first period, I mean, Cov used to tell me he'd go to them for the game. Hey, Fierzy, I'll see you after the game because you know, those guys were looking for <laughs> offense, right? But Fierzy did say he, he was real calm. He goes, guys. Just get you know get a goal, but get get back in here. I'm gonna I'm gonna shut the door, and he did. I mean, like some of the goals they got. I mean, they had no chance, but he he stopped the two on zero, and he was incredible. Yeah, but there was a calmness there too, uh, even though when we were down. Um, and when you look around, and, and when you look at Gretzky and Lemieux and Bork and Coffee, like there was not a, there wasn't a panic. You know, I'm I'm a young guy. I'm like you know I'm nervous. Like I'm like, you know, wide eyes, and I'm looking around, and I'm watching these guys. You know, drink their water. And, Okay, we got this. Relax. Um, it really calmed my nerves down, um, and I, I owe those guys a lot because what? And they've been they've been through it before, so they understand it. Um, and I think yeah. that really helped the calmness of the team. I watched I watched a documentary they did on uh, Grand Fuhr, and it was quite interesting. Uh, it was really really good, actually. It, it really it kind of showed exactly what he was like. Like they, like there was I don't know how many times during the. The documentary was exactly what you said, Mike was and Rick. Like they get four or five, and he goes, "Guys, they're not getting any more. All you need to do is get one more than them." And sure enough, he would do it every goddamn time. It was unbelievable. Yeah, it's good. You know, like you know, we all you know we practice. You know, we take shots on the goalie. Sometimes it gets away from us. And I remember watching Edmonton practice, or even the guys, and those guys tee it up one time. They're they're hitting this ball oh, yeah. and they're about the mask, and the guy never got mad. You know, like the guy no. was like the incredible guy. Like I remember, I remember I hit him one time with a one timer, and I, I didn't. You know, my shot was okay, and I went, "Hey, fears, I'm sorry." He goes, "Don't, don't be afraid. Fuck, tee it up, like tee it up." And I'm like, <laughs> I, "If you did that to Ron Hextall, he's coming. He's chasing you with a stick, like he's gonna chop you if you if you got what got one high." So yeah, he was. Uh, his demeanor was incredible for that for that Oiler team. He was the perfect goalie for the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah. And by the way, Keenan's going to yeah, owe us because we've, we've been pumping his tires so much this uh, <laughs> podcast. Okay, I'm even going to say one final thing about the guy. and You, you better be listening, Mike. Uh, three nothing, and he didn't pull fear. That number one. And Keenan was, you know, he had the quick trigger to pull goalie. So that was a benefit to him to smell something. But the other two things here, talk One, that 87 team came together so quickly as a team. Player and you now as a coach probably can appreciate and squid you too uh, come from the coach. Players knew the role, which I think was the key to victory. A lot of guys, including yourself, as you mentioned already, weren't checkers, even though you were a little bit. But you were, guys were scorers on their regular teams, and now all of a sudden you were called upon to do this. Eagle can be a ruthless killer in sports. Yeah, listen, and I think that's what Mike and listen. You look at Tampa Bay winning too, and you watch some of the way their role players. The Coleman, the Goudros, the the Maroons, you know, whether they got 10 minutes or nine minutes, um, they did their job, right? And I think that's something a lot of teams, like, you know, sometimes, hey, your best player is going to play a lot. And sometimes as a role player, you're going to have to accept it sometimes, your role. And I I knew my role. And I remember it was Mike and, and Squid, it was three nothing. We had a five on three. And I'm in the I'm I'm in the middle of the bench, right? The fourth line guy. And he he, he goes, get, he, he hits me like, get out there. I didn't go. He punches my shoulder and he goes, get out there. Like, are you out of your mind? Like, are you out of your mind? We got Goulet, even Goulet and Larmer, those guys, get them out there. So I went out there and obviously the puck came out. I scored yeah. and, then, and then I stayed out there with Brent Sutter and a prop. We scored another goal. But after that, I knew. Like, I didn't play as much in that second. Now the big boys started to play. And, you know, I had my share of shifts. But uh, and then the last minute he had me out there. So, um you just got to accept your roles, especially in these big pressure moments. And you got to, you got to be a team guy. And I think, you know, teams like, like if you look at Tampa, they, they, the reason why, and I talked to John Cooper about this three, four years ago, 
a lot of those guys accepted their roles. Like the stamp goes, if you look at him, you know, he's not playing the 20 minutes a night like he used to play. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he, you know, he's playing 17 minutes because he knows, Hey, we got to get Goudreau and uh, Coleman out those, those guys out there sometimes. And those guys accepted that, you know, sometimes the higher end guys, they want their minutes too. And, um, it kind of is a detriment, and I didn't see that in the Canada Cup team at all, at all. Well, the Canada Cup, uh, what I noticed, too, was guys, uh, they weren't worried about, like, even the, the stars, like Gail Howardchuk was part of that. And, yes. And he, he didn't play a real prominent role. He was more of a, a third-line guy. And, you know, right. but, but when it came down to it, he was put out there in the big moment, and he came through. You know, so, I mean, it, it's kind of one of those things. And Mike was good at that, too. Mike was really good at getting guys to buy into different roles than they're normally used to playing on their, their regular teams when he would go and put together, like, a Canada Cup team. And I always respected him for his ability to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, talk. Eight seasons in Philly, you get sent to Pittsburgh. Your emotions, you're going from a – a team that's not doing as well as Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's a very good team coming off the Stanley Cup. What was your emotions going through all of that period? Well, listen, I, and, and Ricky touched on this about 15 minutes ago about, you know, he, he, uh, going to, you know, having some teams not quite good enough to, to, to go far. And um, But you got to be lucky. You know, listen, I Philly was about to rebuild, and I go to Pittsburgh, an all-star team. You know, you got Yager, Mullen. You got uh, Francis Lemieux, like these are Hall of Fame guys. So I was so lucky to get traded there, right? Uh, so um, people that win Stanley Cups, you got to be lucky too. It's just not all about. So you know that was one thing when I went there, and actually when they went, they were struggling. Um, they were they they lost their identity. I think they were close to 500, and I know that they had to shake up the deal. They wanted to get some toughness there. Mario was getting taken advantage of, and. Uh, it was just a match made in heaven for me. I was a phenomenal, great group of guys, great organization. Craig Patrick was terrific to, to play for. Scotty Bowman, another genius behind, a real smart guy behind the bench. Yeah. Um, so really, guys, um, very lucky to get that team and win a Stanley Cup. Um, we won, I think, what did we win, nine or ten straight, 11 straight to, to win the, the Cup. That team, is. we were on all cylinders at the end of the, the, the last six weeks. Uh, we didn't lose many hockey games. Um, so it was a, it was an incredible, uh, cr- incredible ride for me and be able to get out of Philly to go to that team was incredible. Now talk, I was going to ask you, is it true that you once straightened a young, immature Yermer Jager out over an incident? He threw a sweater on the floor after a practice in the hockey row, which is a no, no. <laughs> Listen, Yogs is one of my favorite guys, but he was a, he was a, Yogs was an immature guy, you know, back then he was, a, he was a guy that, uh, he'd pout a little bit. He's a young kid. You got to remember he's 19 years <laughs> old. Like my son, he's 21. He pouts, you know, and you know. So I, he, he, one time he was mad after a game. He threw the jersey, and I grabbed him. I said, "Go pick your jersey up." That does. So it was just a lesson. No big deal. Yeah, yeah, no. he, he was great. He understood. He understood it. And he, uh, you know, and he passed it down. I'm sure, you know, uh, all the teams he went to, he probably preached the same thing. But uh, yeah, yeah, Yogs was a. I mean, I'll tell you what. He had. I think he had the biggest birthday party. They had a, his 19th birthday party in Pittsburgh, and. Uh, it was at a sports bar, and I think there was a, over fifteen hundred people. Fourteen hundred were girls. It was incredible. <laughs> yeah, you're doing something right, that's for sure. Now, I only point that out to highlight the significance of the smallest issues can fester over a team. Attention to detail, respect, honor—all these things are not cliches with winning teams, as you know. Both you guys know as coaches, they're part of the fabric of a good hockey club. You think Michael Jordan or Mike Wayne Gretzky would put up with the slightest small negative around the team? Never. Yeah, I mean, and yeah. I have moments, and I'm sure Rick does, um, as a young player, and I try to teach the young players today I, about leadership. It is, uh, I think it was my second year. I had the long hair. I thought I made it. You know, I'm in the NHL. We went to the finals the year before, and we had a practice. I thought we were supposed to get a day off. We didn't. We were in there. I was bitching and complaining. And were, oh, this is a joke, and you know, whatever. And I remember Brad McCrum and Mark Howe told me to. Hey, shit, shut up, put your ass on, put your skates out and get the hell out there and kind of read the riot act on me. And I, you know, I I tail between my legs. I went out there and I'm like, man, these guys tore a strip on me. So after practice, I'm showering. I remember Brad McCrimmon peeks his head and, hey, hurry up. We're going for lunch. And him and Mark Howell took myself out. And I think it was Derek Smith out to Kaminsky's, like an old watering hole that the guys used to go and bought a bunch of beers, had some beers, had some lunch. Never even mentioned anything about what happened. They tore a strip. They just talked about, you know, we just 
they bought me lunch and we stood there for four hours, had some beers. And it was just a lesson. Hey, you know, it was their way of saying, Hey man, we got your back. Um, and we tore a strip off you. Um, but you know, this is, uh, you know, this is where we got, we got your back. And I think that's important that veteran players do these, these young guys and, you know, teach them a lesson, but also kind of explain them why, you know, what, why, why we're doing these things. And it's a hell of a life, you know, would you rather be working on a construction site or, you know, going to practice for an hour, um, and making some pretty good money. So I think I learned that early yeah. on in my career. Squid, can you add to that? So, well, see, not well. I mean, those those moments arise a lot. And I remember when I was in Toronto, and you're the captain, and you know, you don't want to make a big deal out of it. You don't want everybody to to get all you know bent out of shape. Yeah. So you quietly go to someone and just say, "Listen, uh, let's go for lunch." You know, and you just sit there and you kind of just uh, tell them you know, the way it is. And it's like, we can't have you doing that in the dressing room. If you want to go home and do that at home, go ahead. I don't really give a shit, but around the rink and everything, we got to have a positive attitude as much as we possibly can. And and that was the best way to kind of take care of those things uh, back then anyway. Yeah, you're right. And it's, uh, you know, you were a captain, you know, it's, it's not always pleasant to always tell guys this and that. And, um, but it's something yeah. you got to do. And, you know, that, that's where other guys got to help the captain. Like the, like the captain is, he is, can't be just all on him. You got to have that. You got to have those henchmen around him. I know uh, coaching in Pittsburgh, like Sid Crosby, who's a, he's a phenomenal player and leader, great guy. But we, you know, the guys that I remember as much as Sid was great, the Nick Beninos, the, the Matt Cullens, the mm-hmm. Patrick Hornquist, um, you know, Trevor Daly, these guys were really, these guys were men. And, you know, they helped sit out and they would say stuff that maybe Sid didn't always want to say. Um, and it goes a long way uh, to having those type of guys. You can, so guys that it's just not the captain, the lone wolf, you, you, those, the captain needs help. And I think the good teams have those guys that help. Well, yeah, I, I was pretty lucky. I guess I had Boria Salmi who was right yeah. beside me. And of course he was, he was Harold's favorite guy too. And he could do no wrong in Harold's eyes. So <laughs> I had him backing me all the time. So all I had to worry about was I didn't have to worry about a whole lot because I had Boria right beside me. And every time I said something, he said, listen to him. <laughs> so it was, it was kind of neat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he got in trouble. Yeah, he had Ronnie Kevin, Ellis to cover off. And I had Ronnie Ellis on the other side. That was, that was the only downside about Boria on one side, Ronnie Ellis on the other. And it was like that cartoon where you got the devil on one shoulder and, and the angel on the other. And it's like, which way do you go? But unfortunately, I went a little bit more towards the devil's side, Boreas' side. <laughs> I was going to say, now talk, um, it's been said, Mario, we talked about Wayne, talk about men, a little bit more about Wayne here with Mario. But Mario's greatest player as he was, he didn't really know how to become a real champion until he played with Gretzky in the 87 Canada Cup. And I think he's even admitted that. Uh, you know, it's no coincidence from the few years Pittsburgh finally hoisted the cup. I would say, now, is that a fair assessment, first off? And secondly, you saw Mario as a teammate in 87 winning a championship, and five years later, he won a Stanley Cup together. Did you notice a difference in his approach to the game over that time period? Yes. Um, you know, when Mario, especially those last three games, obviously the big goal, um, if you watch, if you watch him play the game as the tournament went on, I never seen the guy backcheck like that. I never seen him go mm-hmm. and take draws and get, like actually Mike go take a draw and get off the ice. Maryland, you come off the ice and he did it. Like you watch him take the draw, win it, and he he skate hard to the bench. Um, and when I got to Pittsburgh, I saw even as the years went on '88, his game obviously got the points, but um, even like when we went to, went the Stanley Cup. He was instrumental. We were three games to one down to Washington. I don't know if people know the story. Some people will know. Yep. He went to Scotty Bowman. We got to change our neutral zone against Washington because Washington had, I think they had four 20 goal scorers. I don't think a team's ever done that for it. Where they had uh, Sylvain Cote, Hatcher. They had uh, uh, Ally Afraidy. I think Sylvain Cote, uh, mm-hmm. uh, he had, they all had 20 goals and they were killing us off the rush, right? And we went to this 1 4, and that was Mary Lemieux's idea. You're talking about a guy that gets three points a game. We're going, hey, I want to play one four, and we clogged up that middle, and the t- series changed, and we won three straight. We killed them, 
And that was Merrill O'Neill. A lot of people don't know that he's the guy that went in Sky. Let's do this one four. Uh, so he he learned how to to win games, play a two hundred foot game, especially in the crunch time. Um, he, listen, he he scored unbelievable goals, but there was times yeah. where he was instrumental in a defensive play that that won us the game. So Rick, you won the Stanley Cup. Like, was it everything that you expected? Like when you played road hockey growing up and dreaming about winning a Stanley Cup, or was it even bigger than that? I think it was bigger, Rick. I think it was bigger. Um, you know, you, yeah, you are. You know, it's the you, the, you know, the you play. I remember playing a Lillian Drive, scoring a goal. Hey, we, you know, pretending you won the cup and running around the street with a, you know, with a, a fake cup. Um, <laughs> it was incredible. I know when Mario passed passed the, the cup to me. Um, it, it just makes everything worth it, you know, and. You know, you look around, you know, the best thing is you look around your teammates because, you know, you might not play for, you might have to have the same guys on your team or you not might, you might not even be there. But for that moment, for that year, um, all that hard work and all the stuff that guys had sacrificed, um, it's well worth it. I mean, yeah, the money's great and all this stuff, but I'll tell you at the end of the day, um, you know, I was very lucky to be able to hoist that thing. And um, like you said yourself, you know, not, not getting a chance because a lot of it has to be with luck. You know, obviously you have to make your own luck. I get it. Mm -hmm. But when you have players like that and, you, you know, you're, you, you, you can smell it. I mean, I said – I remember saying to Kevin Stevens, we beat Washington and we had kind of a scare there. And I said, man, we can't take this for granted, man. And I don't think we played a bad game after that. I know the Rangers, we beat them in six and then Boston in four and then Chicago in four. Um we, we didn't play a bad game after that. It was like guys didn't take it for granted. I thought early in the series, early in the playoffs, we were kind of, ah, we're going to, you know, we rolled through Jersey, I think in four or five, ah, this is going to be easy. But Washington gave us a scare. And then I kind of woke us all up saying, Hey man, we might never get a chance again. Um, so you gotta, you gotta make sure you bang the door down. And you did. Well, I think, I think that's the biggest thing is like you said, like, I mean, some people never get an opportunity when you get that opportunity. You know, you may never get back there. As you know, I've heard that said so many times. And I, I one of the things I remember growing up is my father would never let us stay up past the first period. But every year when the Stanley Cup was given out, he would wake us up and bring us down and let us watch the Stanley Cup being given out. And and I that was one of the coolest things yeah. for me growing up was and yeah. You know, just saying like, oh, man, I hope I get a chance to do that one day. And, and yeah. you know, unfortunately, I never did. But yeah. but it was just so cool to see growing up uh, time year after year. And most of the time it was Montreal, unfortunately, back then. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, it was kind of cool to see. Well, boys, we're getting into the third period of our uh, session here. So we want to get into some other things here with you. We could go on all day, as I said. But the coaching, how did that come about and get started with you? Yeah, so I retired. Uh, I think it was oh four oh five, and um, I remember, you know, you know, you know, Rick, when you retire, it's like, yeah, I'm gonna take some time off. I don't know what I was gonna do, you know, playing some golf, you know, some trips here and there. And about three, two months in, I'm like, man, I got, I, I, I got to do something. You know, I'm gonna get in trouble here. If I'm I bored. I and, <laughs> and you got to remember, we're structured guys, right? Ten o'clock bus, eleven thirty practice. You eat at this time. You do this. So when that's taken away from you. You know, it's like, you know, you're you're like, what do we do now? Right. I, I need structure in my life. So the great late uh, Pierre Lacroix called me and asked me if I wanted to be assistant coach in Colorado with uh, Tony Granato. And I jumped at it. And so it was December. I went out there and uh, I joined the Colorado Avalanche. I mean, Joe Sackett, Peter Forsberg, Adam Foote, uh, Alex Tange, uh, Hey Duke, like Robbie Blake. So, um I went there as a young assistant coach, didn't really know about coaching and kind of learned my craft and, and uh, you know, just to be able to be with those guys and, 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 and talk hockey and some system stuff with them. So that kind of started, kickstarted my kind of my coaching career, um, you know, doing that. Um, and then obviously, uh, you know, I took about three, four years. I, you know, I got fired and uh, I didn't get a job for three, four years, and then I got back in and again. Mario got me back in Pittsburgh. So, you know, I've coached about 15, 16 years, and it's uh, it's in your blood, you know. Biggest difference between coaching and playing? Well, you can control things as a player. You know, the coach, you can only do so much, and then, you know, you got to hand it off to the player, and hopefully 
you know, he, you know, he absorbs what you say and, you know, you want them to be creative too and have their own identity, but also, you know, you're, you know, they, they, they control their own destiny too, to a point. Um, so I think it's just control. You know, I know as a player, if I went on the ice, I can control what I did as a yes. coach. You can only do so much. Um, head coach, obviously have a head coach. You have obviously a lot more control, but as an assistant coach, not as much. So it's, it's really, it's a control thing. Squid, you had that same comment, our thoughts too, yeah. right? Absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree with Rick more. Uh, I mean, when you're on the ice and you're playing, you, you can control certain things. Maybe you can't control everything, but you can control a lot of what's going on on the ice. But when you're behind the bench, I mean, you got to leave it up to the players. And, and uh, you know, I, I think we're both kind of wired the same. We're kind of control freaks and, and you know, we got to keep busy and keep going and, and uh, you know, but coaching was great. I, I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun doing it. I, I met a lot of great people while I was coaching and I only got to the American League, never never to the NHL. But um, but I got to ask Rick a question. I think because uh, in my mind anyway, and I want to I want to get your opinion. Would you say that probably uh, your ability to communicate with the, the players is probably one of the biggest things you can do as a coach uh, as far as being a, a good coach? Yeah, I, I think that's it, Rick. Um, you know, that's the one thing that uh, when I even when I go for these interviews, I always tell the guys straight up, listen, I can actually know you to death. I can sit here and tell you basically every team, the actually knows what they're, they're man on man or this team's a one, two, two, like, all the teams do the same thing. Eighty-five uh, percent. It's the fifteen yeah. percent uh, to me that is the difference. And communication is it. You, you got to be a partner with a player. Like if you think, you know, you're not. You you, you got to be a partner with a player. You got to communicate. You got to tell them why. These guys want to know why. It's the why generation. These guys are on their phones a lot. Um, <laughs> you know, they're on social media. So, you know, you're not going to get one by these guys. Um, so to me, it's like. I tell them I explain, like I explain what we're going to do in practice, um, and I tell them here's the reasons why we want to do this, and this is the reason why I'm going to skate a little bit out of practice, uh, because we have these games coming up. We're playing this team, and we got this. So I try to explain everything I do. Um, some, you know, back day the coaches do this, and you do it. Now you can explain it. Um, and your door's always open. I mean, that's not a cliche. And you're going to have some guys come in, and yeah. you have to deal with different personalities, like. Dealing with a Phil Kessel is different than dealing with an Alex Galagoski or a, you know, a Clayton Keller. They're, they're all different, and you, as a coach, you got to be able to communicate in different ways with it, different personalities. You know, some guys you can get after, some guys you can't. Um, and and it, to me, it's a twenty-four hour job too. Like a lot of my calls, I'm mean, especially in Arizona. I get a lot of young guys. I mean, you're talking about nine o'clock at night. Some guys want to talk to you. You know, they'll call you at nine. That, you know, something's on their mind or something happened in practice they didn't like and. You know, and I always tell them, like, don't go to sleep without without getting it off your chest. So, um, especially nowadays, it's a twenty four hour job, and you got to be willing to to put those hours in on the communication side of it, um, and the mental aspect is really important than the physical. What? Yeah, it's it's, it's so important, I think, because like I, I remember every day going to practice, I would pick three guys that I was going to have a conversation with that day. Not necessarily about hockey. Could be about a bunch of different yes. things. I always gave them all my cell number. I said, "Listen, if you need to call me, I don't care if it's three o'clock in the morning. You call me." And uh, I, I think that's so important. And it's funny you mentioned the guys of today. I mean, back in our day, when the coach said, "Run through that wall," you <laughs> asked them how you, you did, did on your way back. And you ask them how you did on your way back, and now if you, if you say that, that to a player yeah. today, they go, "Why? And what's in it for yeah. me?" Right. You know, and you got now you got to explain everything. Or speak to their agent. Different than it was. Way, yeah, or call his agent and say, "I want him to run through that wall, and he won't do it." <laughs> <laughs> now you both have touched yeah. on what makes a good yeah. coach, and we've had guys like Gabby Boudreau, Jared Bednar on, and talked to Echo and Ricky almost the exact what you guys have said verbatim about communication in the X's and O's. But the goal of any coach or any leader, for that matter, is to be loved and respected by those under your command. Let's all face we all would love that. But talk, I'll ask you this. Would it be better to be loved or respected in your view by your players and why? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, 
you know, I, I think the like the, the word respect is, uh, you know, everybody uses that word and, you know, love and all that stuff. I, I agree. But to me, it's like, I think when, when you leave the game or you, you talk to a player that you coach or play with, you know, hey, this guy was an upfront, fair guy, like up front, like I stand up, you know, they know where you stand. Yep. Like, you know, like I, I might not like something you did or yep. not agree with, but I think they understand, like, I'm going to tell it to them and we're going to talk about it and we can agree to disagree, but I'm not going to go behind their back and I'm not going to, I'm not a whisperer. I hate the whispering, you know? Um, and I, and I, I remember picking even my, my staff. I used to tell assistant coaches, if you're a whisperer, I found out you're whispering. You're not going to last long with me. I'd rather a guy tell me, Hey, talk, I disagree. Um, you know, playing this guy in a line tonight and here's the reasons why. And I think, you know, we should go this way. Um, then a guy just agree with you. And then, you know, he whispers behind your back. I knew we, you know, you failed that night. I knew we shouldn't have played that guy yeah. with that guy. It's no different as a player, you know, uh, you know, your teammate, you know, mm-hmm. the guys that talk behind your back or whatever. Like, that's the one thing I've always tried that mantra is like, when, you know, you talk to Rick talking, you're going to get the, you're going to get the honest truth. But I might not have, I mean, listen, I'm going to be wrong sometimes and I'm willing, you know, and to be good or to, to win, you have to be willing to, to be, you know, to walk that tight, that tight rope. You fall sometimes, you just got to get back up. So to me, it's being fair and a stand-up guy. I think that's really important as a coach uh, and yep. as a player. Yep. Well, I was going to say one of your early successes, as we, you know, we're down to a few minutes here. One of your early successes calls as a coach, I think, was playing Stephen Stamps goes as a rookie in Tampa when your predecessor, Barry Melrose, Barry Melrose wouldn't play him. He didn't think he was ready. What did you see in Stammers, an 18-year-old, that gave you the confidence to play him? Well, listen, Stammer was a, you know, obviously he's a hell of a player, you know, he's yeah, probably made I mean, the Hall of Fame. When I when I took over, I, I remember saying, like, Stammer would play a really good game and then that next game, not so good because, listen, 18-year-old, you know, Rick, you know those junior guys. I mean, it's hard to play, a, yeah. a, you know, three, a, you know, it's hard to play back-to-back game against men, right? So what I said was, I said, you know what I'm going to do? And I, and, I, and I talked to, actually, I called his agent. I talked to his dad. His dad's a phenomenal guy, too. He's a mm-hmm. great guy. I remember saying I'm going to play him two games in a row, and then I'm and then I'm going to have him train with Gary Roberts in, in the gym, and give him a couple of days off. And I remember I did that. We kind of patterned the games, and his play as we did got better yeah. and better and better. He'll tell you Stammer was the best thing for him. By the end of the year, he's playing every game and he was scoring goals, and he's I think he scored 50 goals for me the next year. So I just I I, I kind of had to look outside the box with him, um, and I and I wanted him to know that. If he, he did this path and it wasn't a punishment. It was just, you're an 18 year old kid, you know, um, instead of just not playing him and no yeah. reason why and playing him six minutes on the bench. When I played him, I played him, you know, when uh, he played. And I think that was the best thing I thought at the time. And it kind of worked out for him. Fantastic. I mean, that's, that, I mean, now yeah. uh, besides the obvious, what is the key ingredient you look for in a player to play for you? I would say hard work first off. For a player, yeah. Well, I, I'm a big self starter, guys. Um, you know, you, you take a player out, you, you go over some stuff. You know, hey, puck protection in the corner. Or, hey, this, you know, shot release. Uh, you know, these different angles. Um, you know, and you go work with these guys. But what I love to see is the next day, these guys are doing it on their own. Do I got to go tell the guy, hey, come on, let's go do? Hey, yeah. come on, let you know, come on, Gents, let's go. You know, or uh, Clayton Keller, come on. Uh, that's the one thing I like. I call them self-starters, you know, I, and it happened in pit for me because I used to take, I, I love being on the ice with the guys. And a lot of those guys, the Gensels and Rust and, you know, um, you know, even Crosby, I mean, Crosby out there half an hour before us. We do drills before practice would start just little things that they'd want to work on. I wouldn't be on the ice and these guys are doing it the next day. So I think a self-starter is something that is something that really, as a coach, I look for that. You know, I go on the ice and I see guys working on stuff on their own. That really, that's really a, an eye opener for me. It, it means the guy's, you know, he's trying to work on his game and he doesn't need to be babysat. You know, he's a, he's actually leading in his own way. Fantastic. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on that, Rick. I mean, it's funny. I, I used to go out half an hour before practice, uh, before anybody got on the ice with a whole bucket of pucks and just practice going down the wing and firing pucks and one after another after another. And I mean, it paid off and, and you're right. I mean, those are the guys you want. The guys with character and the guys who go out and do their own thing and, and practice and get better on their own. So that you don't have to be in their ear all the time telling them that. Well, boys, 
I couldn't agree with you guys more. And the clock is always against this squid talk. You've been a fantastic <laughs> guest. Great seeing you, man. And uh, best of luck moving forward. I know you're going to be behind the bench before too long. Or maybe behind a microphone. I'll just guess at that one, maybe. But you'll be doing something in hockey, I'm sure. <laughs> but anyway, well, I appreciate it, guys. It's like, uh, too, bad it, too bad this wasn't happy hour. It would be a little bit longer. And it sure would. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Paco, thank you soon. All right, All right guys. Take care. Right.